um, which is the devotion to prayer. Um, and uh, I hope it will help us and equip, equip us and um, set us up. I suppose that um, at least in the, the parts of the, the, the weekend that I'm bringing, um, I, I am talking about things that w- w- with which there's a personal, particularly personal application. Um, last night we were talking about something that by definition involves not just personal application, but it's fellowship, it's us together. Tomorrow it will be about communion, which you can't do on your own really. Um, and, and so today's are the most personally applied. And uh, I, I want to just say again, um, these are the kinds of messages where we, are, we run the risk of uh, kidding ourselves because we're hearers only of the word. And, and so I just want to, again, remind you to listen with thoughts of what difference will this make? What practical steps can I make? Uh, the difference between someone who does the stuff and someone who hears only is, is, is not always seen at first. Um, a kind of quite a startling uh, anecdote um, makes this point for me. A, a pastor friend of mine from Chicago said to me years ago that he, he gathered a group of young people to disciple and uh, talk to every, every week for a few months and to pray with them and to train them. Um, and he said to them, I, I'd like to ask you to uh, regularly fast and pray if you're part of this group. I'd like to ask you to do that as, uh, as part of your way of being, uh, being involved with this small group for just a season. Um, We'll meet together and so on, but I want you to do your part. I want you to be those individually in your own time, praying and fasting and seeking God as well. And he said, after a few months, not, not days, but months, he was able to see which ones had done that. Not because of anything they said. It wasn't because they told him they'd been fasting and praying. He could just tell. He could see the difference it was making in their lives. It didn't happen overnight, but it happened over a few months. And it just, it's just obvious. You could say, oh, these guys did, did that part of the agreement, and these ones didn't. And, and this is one of those, uh, uh, I mean, that's a, one of those stories that, that brings the point home so very vividly for me. And I, I want to just ask you to keep hearing these things very practically as we get into it. So let me read to you the end of Acts 2 again. We'll just read the same passage because it's helpful to see it all in technicolor. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's just pray together now. Father, we thank you again for our time, this opportunity. I pray you would speak to us and I pray you would help us to 
respond with faith um, and to apply these words. I pray, God, when, when seeds fall upon the soil of our heart today, I pray it would go, I pray the, the seeds would penetrate the soil and germinate and, and bear fruit for years to come in the lives of many other people as well. Lord, we don't want this seed to be taken up by the birds of the air or uh, fall on hard soil or be strang strangled by the weeds and thistles. So Lord, I pray for steady fruit from these words. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so uh, when we talk about prayer, being devoted to prayer, which was obviously a hallmark of the church, and we'll talk in a moment about how that's borne out in the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, we're talking about something that's globally uh, kind of natural for people to do. People will pray um, whether or not they admit it, uh, whether or not they would call themselves religious or even spiritual. There is an instinct to, to pray. It's quite common. It's certainly global. It's natural in that sense. And it's a strange thing that it's both natural and it seems a little unnatural to us. We feel a little um, uh, uncomfortable at the same time praying for various reasons. I, I think that prayer is one of the most difficult, challenging things that we're called to do as Christians. Just, just put that out there now in case any of you uh, need to hear that. This, this, this isn't something that, uh, you know, I'm up here speaking to you because I find it incredibly easy and I've kind of, I've nailed this one. I've got this covered. Uh, it's it's a it is a challenge. It's not a, it's not it's not easy, and it's it feels at least unnatural a lot of the time. Um, I think it can feel unnatural uh, for for various reasons. It can feel fake to us. We can try to uh, pray on an occasion or, or regularly set set out good habits of, of time allocated to prayer, and then as soon as we start talking to God, question the authenticity of what we're doing. Am I really praying? Am I, is, this, is this proper prayer? Is this legit? You know, it's not, it, I don't sound as good as I did when I was praying with those other people. I don't sound as good as, as the, the person did in the meeting. It doesn't sound kind of professional. It just sounds, it sounds weak. And so we can be frustrated with our, ourselves and we can <clears throat> feel also a slight, well, at least a slight sense of unworthiness where we're, we're not sure even if we should be allowed to pray, whether we're talking to someone who wants to hear us, whether we have the right to be there, and whether we're, we're sort of still, he's still talking to us after what we've done or after what we're, in the, what we're doing or what, what kind of condition our life is in. We can feel this sense of it being kind of just, let's, let's be real. I'm, I'm not, I shouldn't be, this isn't me. I, it's, it's, I'm pretending, it's pretense. I'm just, I'm sort of trying something that's not all that real. I suppose even just the, the, the sense of sometimes struggling to sense God's reality with us, knowing that we, we do trust him, we do believe him, but we don't really feel his nearness. And because he doesn't feel very real at the time when we're sometimes intending to pray, the prayers sound very weak because I don't really feel the presence of God right now. This is just hard. 
it's just really difficult, maybe even just difficult to concentrate. I don't know if we're all the same in this respect. I sometimes think I might be at the kind of attention deficit end of the spectrum where I struggle to just be able to stay in one line of thought. Perhaps some of you can relate to this very closely, that giving time to prayer, maybe allotting a chunk of my day to prayer looks amazing, but just a few minutes into it, my brain has gone down so many rabbit holes, so many different distractions. Uh, amazing ability to be fascinated by everything except the person I'm talking to in prayer. And, and to, to, I mean, sometimes I think, well, this, 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 is, this is getting ridiculous to the point where you think, well, I must be doing something important because the level of distraction is just almost supernaturally weird. How many things are now vying for my attention that probably would not have come up if I wasn't trying to pray right now. Uh, it's amazing how, you know, fixing a, fixing a curtain rail seems suddenly extremely important <laughs> when I'm supposed to be praying. You know, things that you've actually left for literally seven or eight months and been fine about, but when you're praying, it's like, I must do this now. It's, so, it's just, why has this not been done? And, and so it, it, the fight to stay focused and attentive is, 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 uh, is definitely a battle. Um, I, I, I feel personally um, really helped when I'm reminded that men and women who are real prayer warriors have had the same battles. And it's good to know that you're not, you're not, if you feel that way, you're not on your own. I often feel on my own in it. I think, oh, I'm so bad at this. But you're not necessarily. It's, it's, the Bible says, no temptation has befallen you except that which is common to man. Okay, the temptations you feel to quit praying are not, they're not, they're not only you. They're not, you're not the only one to have fallen asleep on your knees, for example. I've done that, I don't know, lots, I was gonna say hundreds, that would be exaggerating, lots of times, falling asleep on my knees. In fact, once I fell asleep on my knees and my, my uh, son, who's here, who's in one of the other rooms, um, he, he was young enough to be shocked, I think he was about, probably about four or five years old, maybe, and I'd been talking to him about idolatry uh, you know, at least reading the stories in this picture Bible about a King Ahab of Israel worshipping Baal and how wicked it was that he bowed down to this idol. <laughs> and Elijah was this great prophet who came to preach against Ahab and stop him from bowing down to... I said, look, he's kneeling down before Baal, this idol. It's wicked. And Elijah has to come from God and tell him to stop. And Hudson came downstairs and saw me on my knees in front of the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and he's, he had this, he, he kind of looked at me with the shock of, you're worshipping the sofa. It's like, he's kind of, it's kind of this, it was really, it was really fascinating in his imagination. It was like, he's caught me doing the very thing I've been saying he shouldn't do. Like the whole, this family is built on hypocrisy. You're a sofa worshipper. And uh, so, so he stood there like Elijah, you know, ready. To, I'm so rebuke. And I was too asleep to, to stop him, I think. I was so tired. But I, I'm saying that to kind of help you give room for the, dang, the challenges. But uh, apart from just general sort of tiredness and ADD and all the things that are probably uh, part of it, we need to understand, the, the, uh, like with before, in the session before lunch, there is a root problem, there is a root issue. 
that we need to face when we see the, the difficulties we have with, with prayer, even with a devotion to the Apostles' Doctrine. In the same way, devotion to prayer, it goes against something that we've had to fight or had to deal with since the fall, since Adam, since we were expelled from the garden. The garden was, was our decision. We, we, in Adam, we broke off from God, broke off from him. We, we effectively cut ourselves free from him. We, we Brexited. So, so uh, it's interesting even now, while, while in my country we go through the, the, the tedious uh, negotiations and all the issues, the post-referendum post negotiations of how, how is it going to finally work, what's going to be the, the final impact of Brexit on, on England and Scotland and, and Wales and Northern Ireland. And it's, it's all there because there's been a decision that was made. The nation voted and decided. I mean, not, all, not in unanimously, but certainly enough votes were taken to say, OK, that's the call. And now it's like, wow, you want to live with it. And that's our story as humanity, an exit, a breaking off. And then there's just reality to be lived with as a result. There's, what does that mean to us? I think at the time it probably would have meant something very different. Well, it did. It meant to us, we get to be like God, or we, you know, the, the lie that was told by the serpent was something so positive. The result for humanity has been disorientation, uh, a mixture of spiritual need and desperate kind of longing, which is always there, but strangely not quite comfortable around the one we need. <laughs> you know, in fact, quite repulsed by him. We don't desire God, desire to be away from God, naturally. So prayer is an awkward subject. It's kind of natural but unnatural. People know it and do it without even thinking, but also struggle to really be comfortable devoting themselves to it. I think that it's because of much deeper issues than just our personal weaknesses uh, mentally or just tiredness or, or anything like that. So we've struggled with this as people. Until, until a person came along who was quite different. Because this person that came along, and, and he really was a, a, a human person, truly human, not a ghost or an angel, not just sort of spiritual but non-physical, but a full-on human man. He shows up and he has this way of living that has all to do with his praying. His prayer life is, is, is he, his praying is his life. It's not like he would even compartmentalize it. You know, how's your prayer life? Well, that is my life. He, he, he prayed naturally. He just, he just lived with, with, with God. And he looked like he enjoyed it. He looked like it was where he should be. He wanted to pray. He wanted to. 
he lived that way to the point that the disciples who wrote his story years later said he often would take himself off to a quiet place while it was still dark to be with God. He, he, he talked about prayer like it was something very, very relaxing, as it were, very normal. He talked about being with your father. He, he, was, he was incredibly at home. <laughs> you could say prayer was his default mode. It's like it was his screensaver. If you left him long enough, that was what he went back to. If you, if you wonder where he was or what he was doing, he's probably praying. It's just, and, he, and, he, and yet it didn't seem mystical in, a, in an uncomfortable way. Some of you have been around people who are pseudo-spiritual. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like you, there's a spiritual show they're, they're putting on. And it's not, you, you kind of see through it sometimes. Think, yeah, I don't feel, this isn't real. This isn't the real you. With Jesus, it was the real him. It was who he really was. And it, it struck these disciples enormously. They noticed something about him. And he noticed the impact it made on him. It gave him a certain kind of authority. So he, he would be in situations where he, he didn't... Act, although he had the right answers to the questions... He, he didn't just rely on his, his, his intellect. He didn't just rely on that. He would, he would deal with situations often in ways that no one could quite understand. How did he do that? They would ask him questions. They would come at him and think, we've got to get him this time. We've, got we've, we've discussed it, and we know how to take Jesus down. We have got the perfect question, and he's gonna, he will never climb out from under this one. And then he would say something, and they would be like, what happened? What happened? Did anyone see what happened? It's just this extraordinary authority he had. Sometimes he didn't even say anything. He just walked through the crowd. Literally walked through them. When they came to kill him once, he just walked through them. And, and it, was, it was there with, with most evil things, with, with screaming demons yelling at him. And he just had this authority, this calmness about him. In a, in a boat where the storm threatened to kill and drown everybody, he was asleep. He was literally asleep. When he woke up, he, <laughs> he wasn't freaked out. He was more frustrated that they'd woken him up. He said, what, 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 where's your faith? Be quiet, Storm. That's just extraordinary. But here's the thing. He related that authority to his prayer life. Because he seemed, it seems to me that's what he explicitly does. When he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark's Gospel, and there's a there's a point where his disciples can't cast an evil spirit out of a young boy. And they're trying to do it and getting nowhere. And actually, it looks like a horrible situation because there's a lot of... I don't know if you've been around situations where there's something demonic happening uh, in a crowd. And it, 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 sometimes if it's not dealt with, uh, it, can be, it, it might be very... It's just horrible, disruptive. It's not pleasant. And, and so they're kind of, what, what do we do? What, what? They're doing all the things you're supposed to do. Like all the textbook diagrams, you know, they've got it all kind of, this is what, what do we do next? You know, what are we, I'm sure they had a whole list of things they learned from the paperbacks, as it were. <laughs> Jesus comes down and instantly just casts this thing out. They said to him later, why couldn't we do it? And he said to them, 
This kind only comes out by prayer. This kind, this kind of demon, it only comes out by prayer. Now, we, we sometimes translate it, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. That's because some of the manuscripts include the word fasting. But the earliest ones only have the word prayer. It's interesting. What does that mean? If Jesus said literally, this kind of comes out by prayer, what, what could he mean? Except, I mean, I, I don't think, <laughs> other, this kind only comes out by prayer. What did he think they'd been doing? Of course they were praying. They must have prayed. They must have at least tried that. They've been trying to do it for, for hours. They haven't been giving, giving it sweets or, you know, trying to, I don't know, to take it to the doctor or, you know, what, what do we do? You know, what, I, I'm sure there are all kinds of things they might have, but prayer would have been very high on the list. And Jesus said, this kind of comes out my prayer. He means this kind comes out if you pray like I do. If you, if you live a life of prayer, if you live like I do before the Father, it does make a difference. There's a certain kind of authority that Jesus had. And he did not say, this kind comes out if you're the son of God. That's why I could do it. Because <laughs> of course you couldn't do it. You're not God. I am. He never talks like that. He says that these things and greater things shall you do who believe in me. He invites us. He invites his disciples. Yeah, yeah, you, I want you to have authority over demons. He says that. When he called them, he called them to have authority. Mark chapter 3. So that they would have authority. But he says, you, you guys, you need to learn to pray. So in, in the garden, when he's about to be arrested, he calls them to pray with him. They keep falling asleep. You know what? Well, guys, you could just wait with me another hour. Pray with me. Pray. So I train them to pray. I love the way he, does not, he doesn't rebuke them harshly. So gentle with them. After three and a half years, which is another subject altogether. But, but nevertheless, you get the point. I hope you're seeing there's something about this man. His prayer life is, is equated with his practical authority. Practical spiritual authority. It, it affects things. It changes situations radically because he lives before God. Now, if that was this whole sermon... That would still be quite inspiring, I think. It does inspire me to think, wow, that's, that's exciting. <laughs> that's really exciting to think, okay, there's, there's something to aim for there. But I want to tell you this sermon is better than that because that would just be try harder. Let's all try and be like Jesus. Let's all imitate Christ. That's not wrong. Let's imitate Christ for sure. That's a good goal. Thankfully, the good news is really good news. The good news is, is that we're not left to our own devices. Jesus didn't just come so that we could try and be like the Son of God. Jesus has come so that we could be joined to the Son of God. So that we're actually united with him. We, we are in him. So this is important because it, let me just go to John chapter 15 to make this point. Otherwise, what we end up with is, is aspiration, but I think in the end, discouragement. Because we base all our hope on, if this, this year I'll try and be a bit more authoritative in prayer, I'll try and achieve more. That's not a good basis. That's, that's good, but it's not, it's not enough. We need more, and Jesus... 
has come to give us so much more. So John 15, Jesus talking to the disciples. I'll just go to verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then down to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So he's saying, I live before the Father as his beloved son. He is the vine dresser. I'm, I'm the, 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 the vine He's, he's attentive to me. He's my father. He's looking after me. He's pruning. He's, he's, I'm, a, I'm a plant that's being looked over carefully, watched over by a good father. You guys, you're kind of, you're the vine as well in the sense that you're the branches of the vine. You're, you're in me. If you look at a vine, a vin, vineyard, and look at the, 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 the plant, it'll be sometimes hard to see which bit's vine and which bit's branches, which you might, there'll be points where you think, oh, that bit, I don't know if that's that or the other. There's such a joining. There's such a uniting. Jesus is saying, you're not in a religious club. You're in an organism. You're in a body. You've been brought in. You're identified with me. You're in Christ. It's now the most true thing about you. It's more you than the color of your hair, more you than the colour of your skin, more, more you than anything else is you. Your unity, your identifying with me is the most important thing about you. And, and it means your ability to connect with my father is, is now nothing like it was. Nothing. <laughs> So when I was saying just a moment ago, it feels unnatural to us to pray, right? It feels sometimes, this, this sense of, it doesn't, I don't, I don't convince, my, I'm not impressed with myself, and I'm tired, and it feels unnatural, but that's all that's unnatural about it. Because truthfully, it is completely natural for you now. If you're in Christ, his relationship with the Father is yours. See, when I, I say to people, or people say to me, how is your relationship with God going? I wonder how you would answer that instinctively. How would you respond if, if I said to you, how is your relationship with God? I think very quickly we would, most of us, go to a description of our feelings. How am I feeling my relationship with God is going? How am I performing? Has, what's happened lately in my life? What's he been doing to me? Or what have I been doing for him? I think if you said to Jesus, how is your relationship with the Father? I don't think he'd say that. <laughs> I and the Father are one. We just joined. We, I'm, he loves me. Always. And I, lo- I, I do all things. We just joined. I'm, I'm, I, don't know if, I don't know if he would have gone to how he's been doing that week to talk about his relationship with the Father. And here's the thing you must see. Your relationship with the Father, by God's amazing grace, 
is that relationship. So next time someone, even if it's me, asks you, how's your relationship with the, with the Father? How's your relationship with God going? Try and put it through that grid. My relationship with God is the same that the Son has. It, it, my performance is not unimportant. God calls me to, to, to all kinds of things. But my relationship with him is about something more than my performance. Much greater. Much more secure. Much more stable and steady. Final. Complete. And so my prayer life becomes actually quite natural, in a sense. It, it, it is. It's... it's I'm at home, like Christ was at home. I might not feel at home, but it's not the same thing. See, I have a friend who, who had knee surgery, like significant knee surgery. Knees were all wrong all since, since birth. And he'd grown up over the years, in his, his 40s now, with uh, a gait and posture that you would get from, from knees that were wrong. And the, sur- the surgeon was, surgery was done perfectly. He's completely repaired. But interesting to talk to him about it afterwards. Still, still using some of the posture and the gait of the years spent with the wrong knees. And, and so he's having to learn how to walk... <laughs> as though his knees were better. They are better. But you wouldn't always know it from looking at the way he walks. You'd still think he's got, because he's kind of getting used to what has happened. Do you understand? The Christian has been brought into Christ. The old you is dead. There's this new principle of life. There's this new person, creation that has a, a relationship with the Father. And if you say, well, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel real. My prayer, I don't feel very natural praying. I do understand that. I get what you're saying. But it's not ultimately true. It's not ultimately the main thing. You're, you're getting, you need to start getting used to your surgery, if you like, what's happened to you. And your prayer life is one of the ways that that works out. We start to say, okay, this is going to start. This is going to have to change. I'm going to have to learn this. This is why Jesus is so insistent on it. When his disciples say to him, teach us how to pray, what does he do? He, he doesn't give them 10 tips on, 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 on you know, how to concentrate. Or how, he, doesn't, he, t- he, says a few th- he says some practical things, to be sure. He does say, find a quiet place. He says some, some important things. But really, what he gets to pretty quick, pretty early, is the nub of it, which is when you pray, say, Father. That's it. When you pray, say, Father. I want you to, I want you to take one thing for granted. I want you to be clear. He does not say, uh, some of you, when you graduate to my level, you'll say, Father. God, wouldn't that be good? Just you know, hang in there. When, you, when you've really gone hardcore, when you go pro... I'll, I'll give you the father card. There'll be, a, there'll be an exam, and you'll need to do well. You get above 73%, and you might, you might be in the father zone. Now, he says this to weak disciples, all right? They were disciples, these people, just anyone. They were people who loved Jesus, followed Jesus. But he said to them, says, you say father. father. And he commands it. doesn't invite it. He wants it. He insists on it. You say father. 
Listen, he is a father. He said, you know, if you, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father, your heavenly father, give the Holy Spirit, give good gifts to those who ask? <laughs> He's insisting on it. He's determined that they get this. So he wants us to see that it's natural. The second, the second thing to say on being devoted to prayer, so I've talked about that this means that prayer is natural. The second thing is dependence is healthy. Dependence is healthy. The, the, the relationship that we have with our Father through Christ is surely one of total dependence. Jesus modeled that. So Jesus showed how to live with God the Father and what he showed us and what he described explicitly was one of total dependence. I can only do what I see the Father doing. Without the Father, the Son can do nothing. It's, it's absolute dependence. In fact, he, he, he hinted at us that it would be the same. You can do nothing without me, he said. You're in this because of me. Your relationship to the Father is through me. So get clear, you guys are totally dependent. You are, you are not independent. And the way that that's expressed in Jesus' life is through his communion with God the Father, his fellowship with the Father, which means time, it means attention, it means relaxing fellowship, as it were, or relaxed fellowship. It means being able to be at home with the Father. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, therefore, he's, well, he, what he's saying is that it's the opposite of how we very naturally will think if we're not careful. I, I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to pray. Well, wouldn't we stop and just peel that back and think, what are we saying? We're kind of saying what the, the motorist says whose needle is on the red and there's a pullover for fuel. And he says, no, I'm not going to pull over. I'm too busy. I really need to get there. I cannot stop. I'm going to be late if I stop. You might be late if you stop, <laughs> but you won't get there at all if you don't stop. You, 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 your life might have to change if you pray. You might have to change your diary, change your schedule a bit. And it might be some inconvenience. You might have to say, well, I won't do that then. You might, oh, okay, I'll figure this out. I'll change this. I'll change that. Yeah, there'll be some inconvenience. But what's the alternative? You won't get there at all. You won't, you, won't, you won't bear any fruit if you don't abide in him. This is the whole point. This is the whole way that Jesus modeled it. Abide in me, you'll bear fruit. Abide in me and ask anything in my name, it will be given to you. So this, this, this dependence is healthy. And we've got to plan that, think that way. They, they say that Martin Luther, and I don't know a better quotation, perhaps, to illustrate this point. Whether he really said this or not, I don't know, but this is the quote that's attributed to him. He used to apparently say, I have so much to do today that I will have to pray three times as much as I was going to. I'm going to have to pray three hours instead of two or three hours instead of one. I'm so busy today, I'll have to pray more. See, that, that's, that's, that's helpful because <laughs> it's so strange, isn't it? But it makes the point. Father, I need more of you. Now, God's gracious. There's a way of hearing what I'm saying where you can... I hope you hear the point of this, but this, this, is, this, is, this is a massive principle, and it will work itself out in our prioritising and our scheduling. The third thing to say from this, and this is my last 
Oh no, my second to last point. Second to last. Prayer is revolutionary. See, these, these early disciples, they're devoted to prayer because they've seen it. They've seen a man who lived like Adam didn't. They've seen true humanity on display. He's not fake. He's utterly at home with his father. And they've understood there's a way to live that way. He's done it. We can. We can live before God because he's made it possible. In fact, that's how we live now. We're under, we're under the same realm. We're in, we're in this same kingdom. We're new creation. And it, it means that as a community, they, they, they lived with an understanding that prayer was their best work. Prayer was how they moved mountains. Prayer was how God was going to break in on the world. And it meant that they prioritized it, they, they expected it to be fruitful. What I'm saying is this is a community thing. It's not an individual thing. It includes individual change, but I, I wanna ask you this afternoon, guys, to apply this to your life as a church. Your prayer life together as a church is absolutely essential. There's no other kind of church. A friend of mine years ago, who died a couple of years ago, said, said, said he made this point strongly in some teaching I heard him do. Uh, the, to talk about a praying church is like talking about cold ice, hot fire, wet water. There's no other kind of church than a praying church. A church that doesn't live this out, where you can't look and say, that's, that's Christianity, where you see a community dependent on God together. That, that's it. That's the expression of this teaching. It's good that we have our individual prayer lives. When Jesus talks about you are the vine, sorry, I am the vine, you are the branches, he is talking to his community. He's talking about a group. If you wanted to see an iconic expression of John 15, it would be a prayer meeting. It wouldn't just be an individual on, on their knees in their own bedroom. It, it would include that. But first, it would be the prayer meeting. It would be the community together before God. When we, when we say, let's gather to pray as a church, as, as we do as churches, we say, let's gather to pray. Let's find times in our diary where we gather to pray, which I know will increasingly happen as you guys grow and reach this city. Mature believers think that's priority for me. I need to see that as absolute essential. It's, it's, it, it seems sometimes us at our weakest. And rightly or wrongly, that's probably true on an outward level. Because we, you know, when we have our prayer meetings, we don't look as good, if you like. Sundays, we might sort of present ourselves in a certain way, quite deliberately. We might, we might think about all the, the externals. But prayer meetings, we, we don't gather quite that way. We gather, in a sense, in weakness. It's just us coming to pray. We're not putting on a show. No one's prepared an amazing sermon. It's, it's, it's not the, the, the best band we could have sometimes. It's, it's sometimes no band. It's just, well, we just come to pray. And for that reason, it might be less attractive. It might seem less like a show. And, and maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Because we're saying this, this is not about our performance. This is weakness. We're dependent on God. So, so this is at the very DNA again of, of what it means to know Jesus. You think about just 
Bethlehem. You think about the weakness of it. You think about a stable and a manger and animals and shepherds. It doesn't look impressive. It seems so weak, doesn't it? It seems so feeble. It seems, why is this going to change the world? This little baby, this is so unlikely to make any impact on the world. But we know better than that. We understand that what God was doing in in a tiny little stable was going to just shatter empires. And it's always like that through history. It's always like that. God gathers strength from little groups of people who will pray. Little groups, sometimes quite unimpressive, sometimes ones that the world would despise. One of the great outpourings of the Holy Spirit in, in the UK in the last, in last century was started really because I think it was three elderly, or two elderly ladies who just prayed for months for their island off the coast of Scotland. They just prayed for months. They just kept praying, kept praying. No one even knew they were doing it. The most despised members of society, these elderly ladies, they were just praying, praying, and praying for months. And, and the story of what happened on the, in the Lewis Revival is phenomenal. I mean, buildings shaking. People turning up in the middle of the night to meetings that weren't even called. No one, it wasn't advertised. People just in the middle of the night just walking to the church in, in large crowds. Extraordinary. Just a couple of ladies praying. It's very unimpressive. God delights to do that. He does it again and again. But when whole churches get this in their blood and start thinking, this is how we do our work. This is how we change cities. We scrummage like a rugby team. You see rugby? I don't know if they do rugby in Holland. They don't. They might try to. They don't. So, so... <laughs> But when you kind of get head down for the scrum, you kind of push in and pray. It's kind of, you head down, it's not that, it kind of looks weak. You know, it looks like, where, where have they gone? <laughs> but but they, they, they're down with God. They're kind of on their knees, pressing into God. Churches that are prepared to pray together change history. That's not just a slogan. That's not just a tweet. It's just fact. It's, it's total fact. I can, I can, that's my story. So my church, we, the, one of the, we, have, we own two large buildings by God's grace. Both of them, utter miracles. Could never have got them if God hadn't answered prayers. If God hadn't swung doors open that were rusted shut. I mean, I'm talking metaphorically. That in the case of one of them, it, the, the whole council, the whole council of the city voted unanimously against us owning this building because they did not want Christians running it. Did not want a church to have it. Unanimous council vote against us having it. And so we started to pray. We gathered to pray often. Praying as a whole church many, many times. And we made an appeal. We wrote an appeal. We knew. Our advisors told us this will not happen. If it happens, it will be an utter miracle. It has a unanimous appeal. A unanimous vote has never, ever been retracted on this council. On anything. It will never happen. But God's God, you know, he'll answer your prayer. And we meet there every Sunday. That's where we, God gave us the building. The, the unanimous council <clears throat> overturned. Overturned. We, we know God heard our prayer. And we could tell so many stories. Churches that want to thrive, like Liberty. Just, just a band of brothers, just a little community of you here. It's, friends, this is this is what will this will this is what will turn it. Your prayer, your prayer, your devotion to prayer. We have great stories, so many. 
Are they all to do with our praying? We have lots of stories that are quite cool. Our great stories are to do with prayer. Do you hear me? We've done a few other things as a church that are quite kind of cool. <laughs> but anyone could do that. The stories that are miraculous, they're the great stories. Stories that only God could have done. That's why churches that have a, a, a praying momentum. And it takes effort. And we say, let's pray, and we, not many people show up. We don't think, oh, well, we won't bother praying anymore. Thanks, people didn't come. We think, okay, well, we need to think about this. We're going to have to think about how we do our prayer life. We, we, we learn to grow with prayer. We deliberately plan it and put it in the diary and plan ahead. How can we gather as many people as possible? All those kinds of huge, important priorities start to play in on it. But everything really great that comes out of a church will be to do with its prayer life. We, we, we started planting churches in other cities, like Amsterdam. Because in a prayer meeting in Sussex, uh, six years ago, when we were praying and fasting for a day, just like we do regularly, regularly, in our diary, regularly, prayer and fasting times, often as leaders, and as the whole church. On this occasion, it just happened to be leaders, but it could have been with the whole church. We gather together, and one of the ladies in the church just very clearly has this prophetic picture that she shares with us about five smooth stones. And, 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 and uh, she says there's five cities we've got to plant churches into. And, and I was reading in my Bible the verse that comes after that where David, or the verse comes before it, where David had taken off Saul's armour so that he could wear armour that fit him. And she didn't know that I'd been reading that very verse. And she says, I see, I see us like David taking up five smooth stones. In my Bible, I'm looking, it's the next sentence. I'm looking at my Bible. The, the, the taking, David took off Saul's armour. And then I'm about to read the next sentence. And my, my friend says, I feel like God is saying to us, we're like David getting five smooth stones from the water. And they're cities we've got to plant churches in to take Goliath down. When that happens in prayer meetings, you don't think, prayer meetings are a bit boring. <laughs> you think, Tell me where the next one is. When, when do I get to do that again? Because God God's like, oh, that's, what, that's how churches move. That's why we plant churches in Berlin, in Amsterdam, in Ottawa, in Krakow, in Belfast, and perhaps in London. Because God spoke to us. Now, you notice that's more than five. Because the, word gets, the, the, the vision gets bigger as you go on a journey. You start saying, what do you want us to do next, Lord? And he starts to speak more things. We're, we're, there's a church in my, in my city in Brighton that's saying to us, can we be part of your church? Can we join you as one of your sites? And we're, we're talking to them and praying and discussing how could that work? Because it wouldn't be us, it would be tough for them. They'd have to join us and you know, come under our leadership and all that, which <laughs> is pretty tough for anyone, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> no, but it's a big change for them. And so we're saying, are you guys ready? And we're working out and trying to seek God in it, praying a lot about it, praying, praying, praying. Just this last Sunday, as I'm about to get on my bike and ride to the meeting with their, their people to talk it through some more, over, as we're doing it week, week, week after week, my, my, one of my brothers who lives in London, he sent me an email. He's saying, what's this about you doing something in North Hove, in, in Hangleton? I was saying, well, how did you know about that? He said, well, a friend of mine sent me this prophecy this is a friend of ours who we knew when we were in the 90s, early 90s, so before some of you were born, a long time ago. 
We knew this guy, a friend of ours, and he sent an email to my brother, which my brother said to me, is this relevant to you? I'm just on my way to this meeting in North Hope with these guys. And I read this thing on my email, and it says, I, honestly, this guy doesn't live in Brighton anymore. He lived in Brighton 20 I haven't spoken to him for over 20 years, this guy. And he says to me in this email, he says, he says to my brother, to be accurate, he says, um, I just had this picture of this huge harvest field in Hangleton in North Hove. God wants to bring in a great harvest there. He wants to do something powerful. He's like, he's like stirring up the harvest field. He wants to bring all the, the harvest in. And I feel like your brother Joel, who leads the church in Brighton, he needs to keep his eyes on what's going on in North Hove because God wants to do something new there. I hope you're well. Bye. <laughs> and that's, that's just... that's. Obviously, you go to meetings differently when you get prophecies like that. I'm saying that to, to help you. I want you to understand, friends, this is what praying, this is what church can be like, is meant to be like. That we, Jesus leads the church. He's at the helm. He's leading. He's, he's giving us our orders. He's helping us. But how do we learn that? By abiding in the vine. We, we, we come in under him and we listen to him. We, we let him lead us. So the final thing is... is the devotion is habitual. Devotion is habitual. This is where it gets personal again. It does require the building of habits. To get used to our new knees, we build habits deliberately. And that's why that word devotion is so appropriate. You get that point. Devotion. Strong word, isn't it? I wonder if I was to say to you, what, what are you most devoted to? If I was to watch... Your life in the next 24 hours, I would see a little bit about what you're devoted to. If I had a CCTV camera, which I don't, I would see what you're devoted to to some extent. I'm sure that your phone would be pretty high in most cases. In mine, it probably would be quite high. And you'd start seeing devotion worked out in practical example. What does it look like to be devoted to prayer? What does it look like for you? Think about habits. Think about how this is borne out in habits. Let's pray now, shall we? Jesus said to his disciples, Dan, why don't you come up and, and just get ready to play for us. Jesus said to his disciples when they, when they kept falling asleep in the garden, he said to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's, that's sometimes... Sounds like just sheer rebuke, that word, doesn't it? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It sounds like he's saying, you guys, you're all flesh. And so, yeah, you're all about the flesh. You say that you want to pray, but I know you. You're just, all you are is flesh. That's not what he's saying. That's half of what he's saying. Don't miss the other half. The spirit is willing. And if you're a new creation, if you're in Christ, if you're born again, and friends, who you most truly are wants to pray. Do you hear that? Please hear it. I'll say it again. If you've been born again, who you most truly are wants to pray. Wants to pray. Should we just stand together? Father, we thank you so much for the renewal 
of our humanity in Christ. Lord, that we were once broken off from you. And we thank you, God, that that bitter harvest we would have reaped forever and ever uh, has has actually been replaced by the harvest that we receive in Christ. This, this, this grace, this union with, with God through Christ. That we can truly have fellowship with God, with his son, Jesus. Thank you for it, Lord. Lord, we, we say... We talk about it as if we know what we're talking about. And actually, we're like, we're like little toddlers that haven't really discovered that we're in the royal family yet. We're like little, they're just, we're just ignorant. We don't, we don't really know how privileged we are. One day we'll know. We're just amazed at what you've done. And we're getting more amazed. One day we'll be properly amazed. But we say, God, in the meantime, as we grow up, we want to learn habits of prayer that, that uh, maximize our fruitfulness, our enjoyment of you, that maximize our authority. So I, I think of Jesus before the storm. I think of Jesus before that Sanhedrin. I think of Jesus before the, the demoniac or the many that screamed out. The crowds wanted to stone him, push him off a cliff. Jesus just was walking with his father. Mm. Lord, we, we, we know only a little bit about this. We want to know more. Just if, you, if, you say, if you're saying in your heart, Lord, I want to know more of, of this precious fellowship with you, could you just raise your hands with me? Just, just, just as a way of saying, Father, help me to respond to you. And, and, uh, and you're saying, God, I want to know this authority. And think about the, the calling that's on us as a church. This church was born out of faith and vision. God spoke to us. God spoke to Matt and Joe. God took us on a journey. Jesus leads the church. You must hear this. You must hear it. You must understand this, friends. Was this church charismatic? Yeah. <laughs> In that sense, definitely. Jesus present, leading the church. Very, very much so. Not in sense of scary wackadoodle stuff, but just in the sense Jesus is in charge. We go to him, we seek him. We want him to guide and lead. We want him to pull walls down. We want him to make possible things that are impossible. There's no other real kind of church. It's either built on that foundation or it's not quite right. Lord, I just pray that you would teach us as a community here 
to pray. God, to, to win battles. I pray there'd be some story. I pray there'd be some giants taken down. Would you like to see that? Just in your heart, just start to say it to God. Just You may want to whisper it out loud or even start to pray right now. Let's just start to pray. You think of some of the things you'd love to see. Father, we want to pray for our city. We want to pray for the church to grow. We want to pray that in this... Lord, this kind of fortress of secularism, you would build something. You would build a church. And to pray for, Lord, miracles that demonstrate that you are real. To pray for the preaching of your word to thunder out and hearts to be softened and convicted. And to pray for the gospel to be heard and powerfully transform people's lives.